Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's listening to the Temple Beth Am podcast, where and whenever you are listening to it. Uh, nice to be back in person. Haven't had this class in person in a long time. Welcome to student Stuart Weiss. So great to have you here. Uh, Stuart, I didn't know you were coming, so I, I think you should sit next to someone who might have the texts because I don't have spares to hand out. Some of the texts I'm going to be putting on the board and if you choose to uh, on the screen, if you choose to stay in the class, which would be great, I'll give you a recommendation for what text to have in front of you, but it'll be helpful to actually have the texts right there. Um, okay. Okay, so um, as I said last week, Every once in a while, Rashi goes into a math zone, and I usually skip those Rashis in the teaching because they're just not as satisfying, and you get you get into a you get into like a wormhole of mathematics, um, and we're not really learning a whole lot about the uh, the, the the text of the of the Torah. Um, we've got one today. We're going to read it, but I I, I don't want to linger on. I want to just try to get the basic shot on it because. There's more interesting stuff after that, okay? And this is in the section of chapter six of Shmot, where we're getting um, uh, another census, the, the names of all of the children born to the tribes uh, who came down, and sometimes their spouses, and sometimes the next generation. Um, and every once in a while, Rashi has something to say about it. So, yeah, uh, microphone. Am I right that the last census was when they entered Egypt? So this is the first census since they entered Egypt. Well, we 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 know the names of the people who came down to Egypt, and now this is a recounting them and an expanding of them. Yeah, I would say it's a few hundred years. Well, it's not it's not clear how many years because. Um, it's that's one of the things that Rashi is going to try to figure out how many years have transpired because we have some names of people that seem to span the era in ways that are hard to make sense of. Um, so I think last week we did the Rashi on verse um, 14, right? Where um, we, no, and the word, and, and 16, right? We asked the question of why we know the how long Levi lived. Everyone have that correct? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah? That's right. Okay. So let's read verse 16 just to give us some momentum, and then we'll move into the next verses. Is verse 18 that we're going to get the extended math. Okay? So verse 16. These are the names of the children of Levi, according to their birthings. Gershon, Ukahat, Umrari. Uh, those three names that we learn a lot more about in the book of Bamidbar, we learn about their responsibilities for transporting the Mishkan. Ushne Chaye Levi, and the years of the life of Levi, Sheva Ushloshim Ume'at Shana, 137 years. And Rashi gave an explanation for why it's significant for us to know the years of Levi. And because we're about to hear the, the years of some of Levi's children, Rashi in verse 18 is going to explain to us why he thinks that is significant. Okay. Um, that's where we were. Let's jump to 17, and it's not going to be till 18 that we have something kind of uh, interesting to talk about. Uh, Joel, do you want to start reading in verse 17? 
לפני גרשון, לבני ושמעי למשפחתם. And the sons of Gershom were Livni and Shimi to their families. Right, and we still don't have a phenomenal translation of what Lemish Bechotam means to their families, right? It clearly doesn't mean that that's how their families knew them. It's some kind of reference to, to them and, 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 and all of the extended families that came with them. I'll share with you how Everett Fox uh, translates it, and then we'll look at Uncleus for a second. So Everett Fox says, the sons, uh, what verse are we? 17. 17. The sons of Gershon, Livni and Shimi, comma, according to their clans. Right? That doesn't mean like that's, it, it's not just saying that their clans knew them by that name, but, but kind of representing the clans that they ended up producing. Right? If you look at Unculus, Unculus um, translates the Limish Pechotam, B'nai Gershon, the children of Gershon, Livni Vishimi, those names, Lezarayaton. What's the word at the root there? Zera. Zera, their seed, right? Like, like what they were able to produce. So it's if the verse is saying there were many more people that got connected to them in future generations, but they are the ones that are the, the, the head of that part of the family tree. Sue, you're going to say something with the microphone? Just that it would be cute if it, if it was saying, and these are their nicknames. <laughs> you know, Shimian, Shimian, by their friends as you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It would be. I don't. I don't think that's pshat, um, but that would be cute. And again, we're now here learning. So Shimi and uh, Livni are grandchildren of Levi. Just kind of keep that family tree in 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 mind. We're not going to hear the names of the grandchildren of every one of the tribes. Okay. Anything else in that verse, Joel? Well, I mean, if the Lamed in. If 16 is the same as the Lamed in 17, then it would be named in the order of. So in 16, it's named in the order of their birth, and this is named in the order of their family. I don't know what that means. The size yeah. of their family, the importance of their family. That's interesting. I mean, we know that prepositions in Hebrew are pluripotent, and they can mean different things in different contexts. Two, four, as a result of, because the Lamed means a lot of different things. It would be interesting to wonder if this, if, if, if instead of saying letoldotam, I think what you're asking is, does, is the difference between letoldotam and lemishpachotam significant such as that one is birth order and one is the size or the renown of their clan? Is that what you're offering? Interesting. Um, right, because in, in 16, Everett Fox translates letoldotam as according to their begettings, which does suggest birth order, according to their clans. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah. uh, I'm not sure if anyone's really, uh, I don't remember a commentary on that. Let's just check quickly. Anything else on Sfaria? Um, Shmot, what chapter are we? Six? Yes. Six, 16? Mm -hmm. Are we 16 or 17? 17. So. But the Toldot in like Noah and the Toldot in Sarah, I think. And I mean, those are like, these are the stories of is how we always kind of take it. Yeah. Not these are the birth orders of and the progeny of. We kind of talked about that. These are their stories. Um, so in all of Safaria, um, which is mostly comprehensive of the of the classic and even less known commentaries, there is one commentary on the word Lemishpachotam. It's from the Hamekdavar, <clears throat> Rabbi Naftali Sfiyuhu Berlin, who's also known as the Netziv, 
uh, a, a Lithuanian great Rosh Hashiv in the late 19th century, I think also into the early 20th. On the words of Mishpachotam and Joel Baruch Shekivanta, Lokativ Kazeh Bekahat Umarari. He doesn't write it this way when it comes to Kahat's families and Marari's families. Balalamdeinu comes to teach us, Debnei Gershon, Lohayug Dolim. The children of Gershon were not, I think it means numerous here, or maybe great in other ways, Lahanhig Kol Hador, to be the leaders of the generation. Elalamishpechotam. They were they they were heads of their families, but they weren't heads of the generation. Velo bichlal hashevet, but not not in terms of leadership of the entire tribe. Masha Aim came, which is not the case. Benekahat umrari az, which is not not the case of their brothers. So he's Hamektavar saying the mishpechotam is saying that you should know that Gershon had children, Livni and Shimi, and they ended up being leaders in their families, but they were not leaders of the generation. And so it's a limiting. It's not, a, it's not an expanding, it's limiting. Like, yeah, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of the analogy. Um, one's not coming to mind, but yes, uh, he did indeed give birth to Livni and Shimi. You haven't heard much about them. They're, they're, they're focusing on their families, right? They're, they're not in communal leadership, perhaps, like the others were, interesting. Um, they're good names. and Shimi? Yeah. yeah. Isn't, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen Livni as a, as a last name, yeah. like Zippy Livni and David Weiss at yeah. Livni. Um, Shimi, I, you sometimes see um, as a... Um, a nickname for Shimon. Correct. Something. Okay. Uh, great. So let's go to verse 18. Anything else in 17? Joel, pick up. Uvnei kahat... Amram veYitzhar veChevron veUziel ushne chaye kahat shlosh veshloshim umayat shana and the sons of kahat were Amram veYitzhar veChevron veUziel and the 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 years of the life of kahat were three hundred uh, uh, one hundred and thirty three. Good. Okay. So again. If we're learning about the sons of Kahat, we're learning about Levi's grandchildren. The, who is the name amongst Levi's grandchildren that is most identifiable? Chevron. <laughs> I was thinking Amram, right? Because it's uh, Moshe's father, right? So we're, by meeting Amram here, we're learning that Amram was a grandchild of Levi, which means that Moshe was a great grandchild of Levi. Uh, why Uziel? I know a I know, <clears throat> I know a number of Uzis, and yeah. I, I I have often thought to myself, what on earth is is Uzi short for? Because mm. it just sounds kind of, you know, out of space. Now I yeah. see that it's Uziel. Yeah. <laughs> Could be dangerous. Uh, you know, um, that's God why is, it's most familiar to me. God is my strength. Um, and Steve, you said Chevron just because it's interesting that there's. You said, oh, you said Chevron. Sorry, go ahead. Because he got the property where the Martha Machpelah was. Or he got named after that property or something like that. Okay, so we meet Amram in this verse, right? And then we learn something that we're not going to learn about every person that we meet here. We learned it about Levi, and now we're learning about one of Levi's. <laughs> now we're learning about one of Levi's sons. We did not learn about Gershon's lifetime. Uh, lifetime. And, and if you look, cheat ahead to verse 19, which we'll read slower in a second, the third child of Levi, Mirari, we don't care about how long he lived, right? So 
if we create the family tree, we know Levi's lifespan. Levi had three children. His first child, Kahat, we know his lifespan. His second child, sorry, first child, Gershon, we don't know his lifespan. Kahat, we do know his lifespan. Merari, the third, we don't know his lifespan. So, and then if you cheat ahead to verse 20, which we'll read slowly in a second, at the end of verse 20, we get Amram's lifespan. So we're learning the lifespans of Levi, one of his children, Kahat, one of his children, Amram, which leads us to whom? Why is that particular? To Moshe, not, to Moshe and right? And because and so for some reason, which the Torah is not clear about, it's significant for us to learn the lifespans of the direct line between Moshe and Levi. Okay? And Rashi is going to give his mathematical explanation for why. Okay? Um, anything on the verse itself before we look at this uh, rather long Rashi? Any questions on what the words mean or how it's constructed? I get what you, just redundant, but bear in the uh, microphone. Uh, just that uh, we have uh, the, the the word ladoratam uh, for the generations there in sixteen and also in nineteen, but in uh, in, in in where was it in seventeen? It's a lamishpochatam. So as we said, that that's the internal family structure. Where the Dorotam is the external family structure. You mean Latoldotam? The Dorotam is looking at the external family structure, and the Lamishpachotam is looking at the internal family structure. Where do you see Ladorotam? In 16. Latoldotam. By their by their birth order. Yeah, and in nineteen. Right, Latoldotam. And and in uh, in seventeen, it's the Mishpachotam. Right. So we have two externals, one internal. And for Kahat, we don't have any qualifier, right? We we learn the names of his children, Amram, Yitzhar, Chavron, Uziel, but there's neither a Latoldotam for the, according to the birth order, nor a Mishpachotam, which according to Nitzvah would be a limiting. It's yeah. just their names. Yeah. Okay. Let's um, put on our math brains a bit and start reading the, the Rashi. L let me give you a, a preview to the Rashi or as to, as to um, what Rashi is going to be. Rashi on verse um, 18. So when I ask you, based on what you think you know, and it's not a test, how long the enslavement of the Israelites were in Egypt, your answer might be? How many? 420 years. <laughs> Okay, so I heard 420, Sue said 600, 230, 230 right? 210, right? There are a lot of different versions of it because the Torah is not, you know, spoiler alert, not entirely internally um, consistent. And when the Torah is not internally consistent mathematically, it sends Rashi and others into a, into a dance to try to figure out how to, how to align numbers that don't seem alignable, right? The, the reason why I give this caveat is that for me as a rabbi, me as a Torah student who, who, who reads this material not as, um, not as raw history, the, the number of years isn't, isn't as significant to me as, as is what we're drawing out of, uh, of whatever, whatever lessons that we produce. But Rashi needs to find a way. Rashi's concerned that we, the reader, is as anxious as he is to say, hmm, the numbers don't all work out, and there's got to be a reason why we know these people's lifespans, right? So Rashi is going to associate the are being told about these people's lifespans with the question of how long we actually were in Egypt. So uh, go ahead. R R Rabbi? Yeah. Was there, was there something about this with 
the Perach in terms of counting this? Is that I remember in my in the back of my mind something about him using Gematria? Yeah, Gematria or something, trying to use numbers or something there. Is that does that ring a bell at all for you or no? It doesn't, that doesn't mean anything, but it doesn't. I, you know, there's there is material about this that's not often focused on in the Seder as we try to figure out exactly how long this enslavement was. Right. Um I'm not aware of, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. Because Farech would be uh, 288. No, no, the Farach the, the is with a chat, so 200 and that would be 300 years if it was Befarach. Okay, um, I'm going to stop you a lot, but I want you to start. Shnei Chaye Kahat. I have Shnei Chaye Amram. On verse 18? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a Dibor of. Oh, of Shnei Chaye Kahat. And Amram. Right. So what Rashi is okay. doing, and remember the Diborei Hamachil and Stewart, what I'm referring to there is the words quoted from the verse that Rashi is commenting on. I'll say for like the the 300th time, that is not necessarily original to Rashi. That might be a later editor. So just note that the commonly accepted Diborei Hamachil on on this Rashi commentary is a phrase from our verse, verse 18, the years of the life of God. And three words from verse 20, which we peeked ahead to, because when we learn about Kahat's son Amram, at the end of that verse, which will go slower later on, we learn of his lifespan as well. So this Dibur HaMachil quotes three words from our verse and from a later verse. Go ahead. So from this um, math, we know, we learn the staying of Bnei Israel is 400 years. Okay, so I'm gonna share a screen here. Um, so go back to Abraham, right? The first time we have a prediction in the Torah that this new relationship that God is making with Abraham to create a nation, then things are not gonna be hunky-dory. They're not all just, good. they're not just gonna stay in Canaan the whole time, but enslavement or affliction was predicted and even given a, a, a year prediction, right? This is before Yitzchak, this is the Brit Ben Abitarim in Parshat Lech Lecha, right? So just to remind us, verse 12 in chapter 15 of Breshit. Can you see? Yeah. Vayehi Hashemesh Lavo, the sun came, or came down, Afla al Abraham, he fell asleep, a big, a great sleep fell on his, fell upon him. And a frightening darkness. And in this sleepscape, dreamscape, Vayomer la Avram. God said to Avram, it wasn't even Avram yet. You should definitely know, Avram, this is not going to be easy. Your offspring are going to be strangers. In a land that is not theirs. And will serve them, some unnamed superior, the Inu, sorry, uh, and, and some unnamed superior will not serve them, will, will work them. Um, like uh, the, uh, the Eved here is to, to make them be servants. The Inuotam and oppress them or afflict them are Ba Meyotchina. So this is the introduction of the notion that the children of Abraham will not always be in control of themselves in their land. They will be oppressed and it will take about 400 years. Okay. And so that's sometimes the number we're trying to re, um, reach up to, okay? Um, so, uh, and then I also want to show you this verse from 
the later on in the book of Shemot, when we have um, kind of a recap as they're leaving Egypt. Umoshav b'nei Israel, and the amount of time that children of Israel were sitting, Asher Yashvu b'Yitzrayim, that they sat in Egypt, Shloshim Shana v'arbam yochna, 430 years. So after the fact, on their way out, the Torah says that they lingered for 430 years. Before the fact, the prediction is going to be 400 years. And when Rashi says here, Anu l'meidim al-moshav b'nei Israel arbamam yochna, he's not saying we are learning from this verse that they did stay, we're learning something about how to calculate those 400 years, right? We're, we're learning from the notion that we have Kahat's age lifespan and we have um, Amram's lifespan, something interesting and non-obvious about how to figure out these years. Okay, go ahead. Shamarakatu. And so it's, uh, it is written. This, that, the Shemara Ketuv goes backwards, right? We learn something on the words, Moshav B'nei Yisrael Arbam O'Shana Sha'amar HaKetuv that the, that the Torah had said in, in the verse I just showed you. Shalom. Shalom Be'eretz Mitzrayim Levadahayu. They were not in the land of Mitzrayim alone. Uh, not, the alone here does not refer to whether or not they were other people, but that the counting does not refer only to their time in Egypt. That those years, lo mitzrayim. I would I would turn around the, the sentence that way, right? That reader, you might be doing the math in your head and saying you you need to get to four hundred. But since we now know how long lifespans were from when they entered Egypt and when Moshe was born, that's not adding up to four hundred. And I, Rashi, am telling you that's because that four hundred doesn't refer to only their time in Egypt, even though particularly in that last verse from Shmot, it, it seems very specifically, right? In verse, in verse, in the prediction to Avraham, it's amorphous and vague, right? You're going to be strangers. They're going to oppress you. You're not going to be in your homeland for 400 years. That's vague. In the verse on the way out, it seems to say 430 years in Egypt. Rashi says, it's not exactly the case. Oh. Okay? How, how, how long were they traveling? How long were they traveling after they left Egypt? How long In the desert? They? Yeah. 40 years. Okay. He's got the Torah map nailed up. But rather from the day that Yitzchak was born. How does that make sense? <laughs> Abraham was, pro was promised descendants and to, to, to graft ancient Israelite history onto modern history, it's the difference between a Jew who was born and lived in Palestine, the 1910s, 20s, and 30s, and 40s, and a Jew who was born in Israel, a sovereign state, 1949, right? There is lingering in one's land where you're in the land, but it's not yours, and then there's lingering in the land where you have control over it. So in order to make sense of the math, Rashi has to say, and it's not just Rashi here, that when Yitzchak was born, that began the prophecy because Yitzchak is not sovereign in the land of Canaan. He's a sojourner. We know there are all sorts of interactions, right? And, and the digging of the wells and his interactions with you know, having to go down to Egypt to, 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 to find things, right? So the 400 years can count from the beginning of Yitzchak's life because even though he's not being enslaved yet, it's not yet Joshua crossing the land of Israel, claiming the land of Israel. 
Sue with a microphone. Um, it, it just makes me think if we say, if we're going to say that we're going to start any of this counting with the birth of Yitzhak, it, I was thinking to myself, why, why Yitzhak? And, um, you know, Yitzhak's father was not born into a mono, it's, Abraham was not born monotheistic. It, it, it actually starts with Yitzhak, who was born into that. He, he's the first one that was never kind of polluted by the tribal and the, um, you know, and the idol worshiping and all of that. It's really, he caught, he caught it. He was, he, was, he was the first one. I mean, there are a lot of other ones that they, we could have said. But Yitzhak is really the first one that was born into a, a, a different paradigm. Right. So Yitzhak, so the birth of Yitzhak satisfies the prediction in Genesis 15. You're going to have offspring. And they're not always going to be in, in they're going to be a, they're going to be a sojourn or stranger. And Yitzhak lived most of his life in Eretz Kanaan, but as a ger, right? His time in the land of Israel, Canaan, is not the same as the tribes entering into Israel after the conquest. Okay, so that's how we're gonna that's that's how we get some years back. And now we're gonna explain why it is that learning about the ages of Levi, Kahat, Amram forces us into this reading. Okay. Um, Shaharei. Shaharei Kahat. Uh, okay, so what does that mean? For Kahat was of those who went down to Mitraim? Right, so Kahat actually was alive when they went to Egypt. I forgot to pull up this verse one second. So when the Israelites go down into Egypt, oops, what happened there? Um, ah, go down into Egypt pre-enslavement, just like the, uh, along with the, 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 uh, the brothers, the brothers' families as they, as they are reunited, we get, uh, and then we get, so Kahat is alive when they go down to Egypt. And so Rashi doesn't say this explicitly, but imagine that Kahat was 0.001 years old when he got to Egypt. And, and maximally, you can count all of his years in Egypt. All of his years as the years towards the time they were in Egypt. You can't, because he, he had a younger brother already. But we're talking maximally speaking. Go ahead. How many years did Kahat live? We just learned that. Um, important or to calculate? Calculate. Calculate all of his years. So calculate all of his years. Okay, so pause. So calculate all of his years. How many years did he live? Look at the screen. 133. Assuming that he was born the second before they got to Egypt. Then if you want to, maximalist, you can count, you can start the time in Egypt as the, at the time of Kahat's birth, and that's 133 years. Let's just say you want to do that. Rush is being like intentionally playful. And then... Add in Shnod Amram, which we're going to learn in verse 20, and that's 137 years. What's the problem with adding Kahat into Amram? Overlap. Overlap. You, he'll get there, right? He's saying even if you even if you preposterously try to add up all the years of Kahat's life and all the years of Amram's life, 
And the 80 years that Moshe was before they left Egypt, right? That adds up to 350. You don't even get to 400 years. You don't even get to 400 years if you don't take into account the fact that number one, Kahat wasn't an infant when he got there, and the fact that they didn't give birth at the last day of their lives, right? Rashi says that. Um, what does that mean? It's basically what we just said, but now find it in the Hebrew. Nivlaim means overlap. It means to be swallowed, swallowed up, up. Exactly. right? Livlawa means to swallow. So nivla is the passive to be swallowed. So, so, so there are many years that overlap between um, uh, the years of their father. Right. Literally, the many the of the years of the sons are swallowed, swallowed up in the lifespans of their fathers, right? So like, you know, I'm 40, I'm 50, and Lev is 10. Well, we haven't shared 60 years on life together because he was born when I was 40, right? So that's just an obvious thing. So you, you can't, even if, you, it doesn't even add up to 350, but even if you ignored that, it's not 350. Go ahead, not 400. That's all I have. The Bilui is, is Bet Lamed Hay. Bet Lamed Ayin is to uh, swell up. Bet Lamed Hay is to, is to, to live, to, uh, to explore or to enjoy. Right. Um, right. Naim. Okay. So uh, right. So that's the that's the last thing that Rashi says. And I'm going to say there's another verse I wanted to show you. Like, why is Rashi why is Rashi doing this? Rashi is alert to, uh, but it's not just that. He's alert to oddities and non-obviousness in the text, and he wants to know why it's significant that we have learned the lifespans of just this line, right? And he says, ah, this is to tell us something important. And what it's coming to tell us is don't be confused when you hear about the number of years that the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt. It didn't, it wasn't just Egypt. It must count earlier because we've got proof that it can't be that they were actually in Egypt 400 years, right? And, other, and Rashi would say, otherwise, why do we care how long Amram lived? Ah, now we care. It's to disprove, disabuse us of the notion that we were actually in Egypt for 400 years. Yeah, the, the, the actual prophecy was that they, they wouldn't be in their own land. Correct. Not, not that they would be servants, but they wouldn't be in their own land. So you have to add up four. Where does the 400 come from? We'll find out. Right. It actually doesn't. He doesn't go on and explain. He doesn't get us up to 400. But, he just tells us it, it proves that it's not just in Egypt. But we start with 350, then we get it, how to add it up. Yeah, but and again, even the 350 is not 350 because of the overlap. So if you go backwards to Isaac a bit, and you go forward the years in the desert, maybe. It's interesting, Rashi is less concerned with adding up to 400 than he is concerned that we don't think they were all spent in Egypt, at least on this verse. Okay. All right. Um, cool. Questions, comments? That's, a, that's about as deep as I'm willing to go on Rashi math. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, well done, Joel. Uh, let's go to, let me see, Marshall, you, do you have enough energy to read? To be one to be our reader, Marshall. Can you hear us? I think he's on the phone. Uh, who else? Anyone else on the Zoom? Oh yeah, look at all these people. I didn't see they were there. Uh, Rick, do you want to read verse uh, nineteen? That's going to take us into twenty. Sure. Can you hear me? Okay. 
I'm looking here. I'm trying to make you screen. Hold on. Let's figure out how to do this. Verse 19. Ela by itself. Translate. And the sons of Marari, Machli, and Mushi. I don't hear a lot of those either in our community. Mushi. Mushi, no. <laughs> sushi, sushi Mushi would be a good restaurant. My, my paternal, paternal great-grandparents, <laughs> Baba's parents were Moshe and Mushi. Uh, so Moshe married. I never heard of a female Moshe. I don't know what it's what it's a diminutive of. He was Harav ben Yamin ben Moshe ben Moshe. Okay, go ahead. Mishpachot Halevi is um, the <clears throat> Ela. These are the families <clears throat> according to their generations. <clears throat> families of Levi. We completed the children of Levi. Right, we've got the kids of Gershon, the kids of Kahat, including Kahat's lifespan and the kids of Mirari, we now come back and say, and these, this represents all of the families, the clans of Levi, according to their birth order. If we go back to how Joel is reading this, that Latolotam here is birth order, where when it says Lamitzvotam, it means something different. Okay? So we've concluded the tribe of, of Levi and have learned all of Levi's grandchildren, one of whose grandchildren is going to be the father of Moshe. We're going to learn that in the next verse. Sue, microphone. Do we really think that these are all of them or that there's a bunch of omitted? I mean, there's it's sometimes there's a bunch of omitted children, not, not to mention the girls, but right. Um, the, the, I mean, <laughs> there are the girls and maybe there are boys, too, that might. It could be that there's more children. I don't know that we know all of them, though. Listen, arguments from silence about what the Torah doesn't include are wonderfully interesting and endless, right? Right. We could also say, like, you know, is the record of the conversation that happened between Moshe and Pharaoh every word that was shared, right? Is what ha we learned? Did we learn every detail of what happened on the mountain when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? So we, we take the testimony of the Torah as as, as comprehensive in its own way, right? Um, but maybe not satisfying ourselves completely about whether or not there were other people that were that are just not being mentioned. Why the Torah, if the, I can understand why the Torah is not mentioning the girls, it's just a patriarchal society. Why the Torah would mention some of the boys of a family at all, I, I don't know. But am I certain that Kahat, sorry, that Merari didn't have more children than this? No, but, but if he did, it doesn't matter, right, on, on that level. Okay, anything else in verse 19 for Rick reads verse 20? Okay, Yala. Vaikach Amram, with the Kadmaviazla showing drama there. Et Yocheva Dodato, Lo Isha, Batelid Lo, Et Aharon, Vet Moshe. And it doesn't mention whom? No Miriam there, huh? Ushnechaye Amram, Sheva Ushloshim, Umat Shana. So, Amram took. Right, and took is a technical term. We've discussed this before. This is not captured. The, the root lakach, lamed kuchach, is a biblical word for to take as a wife. Right? And, it, and it 
uh, last into English, right? We don't say it that way in colloquial English, but you can say he took, do you take this woman exactly? So it actually, it actually exists. It's not, listen, it, it, it might originally, originally come be connected to the notion of, 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 of taking against the will, but it's not re referencing here that he snatched her, but he took her as a wife. And if you look at the Aramaic, unasib, um, the uh, root nasib in Aramaic doesn't just mean a colloquial take, it means to marry. Kind of like nisuin? Uh, no. <coughs> Sin aleph, mm -hmm. like, like to raise, like, 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 like Isa Adonai. Nasib in Aramaic is nun samech bet, but it means matrimony. And, it's, and it doesn't mean a more mundane take. So translates it with a very intentional matrimonial take. Okay? To translate? Yeah. Um, let me do a little story on that. I had a, an aunt who grew up in uh, Brazil, my mom's sister. And when she came to visit, we went to a restaurant. And I, I was so, I was shocked when she told the waiter, I'll take this and I'll take that when she was making her order. And it's like, that's not the way I learned. I was a kid. That's not the way I learned how to talk to a waiter. You said, I'll have this or I like this. But she said, I'll take it. I, I thought it was so, so, um, you know, over the top, the way she said it. But uh, the word take, um, it just stuck with me the way she ordered. <laughs> anyway, um, so Yochebed Dodato, um, his aunt is what the uh, Silverman has it. His aunt to wife, Lola Isha. And Batela uh, Lo, she bore him, um, Aaron and Moses. <clears throat> and um, the years of the life of Amram were seven and 30 and 100. Which we saw before in my. <clears throat> uh, how how um, doesn't add up to 400. Amram lived a few more years. Uh, Lived a longer lifespan than his father. Uh -huh. Okay, so what's going on in this verse? Any questions you have? Any words that are uh, ambiguous or could be could have multiple meanings? Or do you want to jump right, right into the Rashi? Me? Anyone? Anybody? Well, dodato. Okay, so dodato is an interesting word, right? Because we in modern Hebrew, doda means really one thing, ant, right? In biblical Hebrew. Well, Dod also meant dear one, right? Dodi Li. Right? So that he is dear to me. So it meant both a very particular relation and it also meant just someone close to someone, right? <coughs> Once again, Uncle S takes no, um, makes, makes no, um, uh, <coughs> take, make, takes all the guesswork out. Um, uh, Stu, I'm, I'm uh, sensitive to how many phrases I'm using that you might not be familiar with. Uncleus was a, um, a proselyte who translated the Torah into Aramaic, which was the lingua franca that the Jews spoke back then. And it's the uh, oldest extant version of the translate, fully extant version of a translation of the Torah into another language. The Greek Septuagint is around the same time, but it's not completely full. So we sometimes look at Uncleus, not because his translation was correct, we don't know if it's correct, but it, it tells us how the Jews of Judea 2,000 years ago understood these words because they spoke Aramaic, not Hebrew. Um, right, so uh, I see a question from Leonard Rebecca. Hold on one second. He says, Uncleus, uh, maybe I should, do you, does he have Uncleus in front of him? 
there? Yeah. Okay. Unasib Amram Yat Yocheved. Amram took Yocheved. Achat Avuhi. Achat is like Achot, sister. Avuhi is Aviv, his father. So who is the wife of your, who is the sister of your father? And so uh, Uncle says, don't, <coughs> don't think to yourself, Uncle says, would he really marry his aunt? Right? Like, like a generation up? Maybe Dodato just means someone close in his life? No, his aunt. What's that? Amram took himself, Yocheved, his aunt as a wife. Yeah. Uh, which means that his, um, which means that Moshe, right? This is where you could be two relations to one person at a time. It means that Moshe is both Amram's son and his cousin because he's this, because the child of your aunt is your cousin, right? So if that's the case, then, you know, maybe that explains all the genetic oddities of the Jewish people. Okay, um, Leonard, Rebecca. I was just going to share that this reminds me of uh, one set of genealogical conference. I heard a rabbi speak and he was presenting the family tree of uh, his his family and his rabbinical line. And he so proudly said how his son married his cousin and, you know, they, they tried to keep it in the family. So it kind of reminds me that perhaps with, you know, the Levites that they're trying to uh, keep, keep it in the family in terms of their, uh, um, you know, their uh, uh, offspring and all that could be. We don't know how much younger. <coughs> brother right so maybe she was an aunt who was you know there's some families where an aunt is closer in age to the cousin to the niece nephew than to the siblings my maternal great-grandparents my mother's mother was the child of two first cousins so she was she was a shibe because her mother was a shibe and her father was a shibe um so that was rather common in eastern europe right? that you married that first cousins married each other it seems it seems very bizarre to us i think tell me if i'm wrong um, but it was not bizarre back then. My grandparents were first cousins. Who was saying that, Rick? Yeah. <laughs> this the interesting thing. This was this was a modern day um, cousins marrying cousins. So it wasn't back in the old country. That's what I found fascinating. That it was something that they practiced still today. Yeah. Listen, if, and in a world in which clan means something, right? It, our desire and hope and aspiration that our children marry people from the tribe to carry on the traditions is a macrocosm of the desire to have the tribe of Kahat or the tribe of Amram or the tribe of Levi stay intact, right? Particularly when, when what's going to eventually happen is that they're going to get land associated to them based on their tribe. Like, you know, that, that meant something back then and it still means something to us. It means something different, but it does mean something to us, right? It, it, there's a reason why we real and it's not a dislike or a hatred of non-jews there's a reason why we thrill when one of ours has married one of ours and it keeps some of this contained and there's a greater chance that there's a perpetuation of the values that are dear to us okay um anything else on the verse itself before we look at the rashi we looked at dodato anything else jumped out of the jump out at you okay so let's uh Jump to the Rashi, and uh, Rick, you're still on. Uh, well, besides Miriam being omitted, right? Um, and it could have said, 
Et Aharon Moshe. I don't know why there's feedback here, but can you hear me okay? We hear you normal. You hear me. Okay, just a little bit. Um, so anyway, it, it could have said Et Aharon Moshe, but it's each one, so they each have their own relationship. I don't know. That's the old story about the Et. Should I go to Rashi? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what I, someone was asking where we were on the road oh. on, on the words Yocheved Dodato. Okay, right. So, what's the first thing Rashi does? He quotes Uncleus, right? So, he, he says, Reader, if you're wondering what Dodato means, here I, Rashi, agree with Uncleus. And I quote him, the sister of his father. Okay. Um, and interesting, I forgot to pull this up. Also, there's a there's a um, another place in Torah where the definition of a doda has halachic valence, and it's different. <coughs> um, sorry, eighteen fourteen. What's that? The Arayot, right? So in the in the uh, chapters of Vayikra Leviticus, in which um, sexual deviances and um, and uh, and prohibitions are listed, uh, which we usually read on the Shabbat on Yom Kippur afternoon, in addition to when we get to Parshat Acharimot, um, we've got this verse: Ervat Achi Avicha Lo you shall not expose the nakedness or the, the intimacy of the brother of your father. So what is, so what, how would one fulfill this, this prohibition? It's not, even though it says not uncover your, your father's brother's nakedness, it doesn't mean you shall not be intimate with him. It's not a man, man prohibition. It's el ishtolo tikrav. Don't be intimate with your father's brother's your aunt by marriage. Dodat chahi, because she's your doda. So halachically speaking, the Torah here is prohibiting you from being intimate with the woman who's married to your uncle. It does not here translate doda as the woman who is your aunt by, by, by relationship rather by marriage. So Rashi, or a sub, super commentary on Rashi says that this translation in our, oh, was I not sharing the screen? Sorry, folks. Um, Sorry, that was, uh, that was the verse we were looking at. Do not expose the nakedness of your father's brother. But rather, and what, what that means is you should not draw intimately close to his wife because she is your doda. There's a super commentary, Rashi, that says this is now defining it in our context different than in the section of sexual licentiousness. Okay, uh, keep going. Oh, that's it. Me? Yes. Uh, was there anything else on this I wanted to share? Um, there's a verse in Bamidbar which confirms um, this reading. So Bamidbar, 26, verse 59. Veshem Eshet Avram, the name of the wife of Amram, was Yocheved Bat Levi, Yocheved, the daughter of Levi. If she was the daughter of Levi, then she was the aunt of Amram, because Amram is a granddaughter, is a grandson of Levi. 
Okay, the tale of Amram, and she gave birth to Amram, Aaron, Moshe. Here in the Midbar, Miriam gets mentioned. She doesn't get mentioned in our verse. Okay? There's a long discursus on this, uh, on this Rashi, trying to say that maybe she wasn't an aunt, but she was a half aunt. Miriam is listed there too, sorry. <clears throat> a Midbar, yeah, we meant, I mentioned that. Correct. Um, there's there's a, a commentary in this Rashi that tries to explain that um, there may have been uh, it, 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 not as directly an aunt, but like a half aunt because there were two marriages and two, two, two generations above because there are some in the system that are uncomfortable with Moshe having descended from the relationship between a man and his aunt. Uh, Rebecca Leonard, I forgot to call on you before. Go ahead. Okay, so two things. So if you go back, there's a lot of feedback here. I don't know what's going on. But if you go back to a couple of verses, in Leviticus, it's explicit with the nakedness of your father's sister. Leonard, we're, having a, we're having a hard time here. You're sounding very, very muffled. You get closer to the mic. The sound isn't good. Your, your sound is, if everyone's sound is not good? Well, when I, when I speak, there's a problem. I don't know why. But the, in, in verse 12 in Leviticus, there's a couple of verses before where you were. It says, the nakedness of your father's sister you shall not uncover. It's explicitly talking about your aunt there. You don't have to interpret it from the... We've lost you, Leonard, completely. We can't hear you, Leonard. Well, great. <laughs> I want to hear you. Um, I can uh, hear him. Also not on anymore? Uh, something's going on, Hector. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I mean, we can't hear them. Okay. Is this on? Okay. Can you, can you hear me now, Leonard? Yes. Can you hear me? Are you still getting the feedback? Yes. But uh, if, if you can hear me. Without the feedback, I don't like to talk through the You're very hard to hear. Can you, can you bring your mouth closer to the, the microphone and enunciate like you're giving a bar mitzvah drash? <laughs> How about... No. Okay, so... No, I want to hear it. You want me to send it back? No, just say it. Well, we're all going to be quiet, and you're going to say it, and we're going to hear you. Look at Leviticus verse 12. It talks about the nakedness of your father's sister explicitly. Right. It's cl it is clear that that is a prohibition. The question is, is that the definition of doda, right? So at that point, JPS footnotes, that talks about the quotes uh, Septuagint, and it defines the, da the daughter of your, the daughter of his father's brother. In other words, his cousin. I think I heard most of that. That the Septuagint defines Doda as the as a cousin, not as an aunt. Correct. Uh huh which would make us feel a little bit better in terms of how this relationship came to be, right? Right, so um, what, what, it's interesting what Rashi does not do is he, he quotes, or doesn't quote, did he quote? Oh, I brought it in. Um, he doesn't bring us to Vayikra as a question either about what the word Doda means, nor uh, does he, um, 
nor does he bring us in to, uh, to say that like Ein Mugdamu Mucharba Torah, that um, most that there's a there's a relationship here that will eventually be prohibited by Torah law, right? The the relationship between a child and an aunt um, or a, or an aunt by marriage, that just doesn't seem to bother them. This understanding that that the people in this generation were not living by what will about to be revealed as Torah law. Marshall, yeah, just as a follow up to what. Um... Leonard was saying in one of my commentaries to this verse, it sort of summarizes it nicely where it says that Unculus is unconcerned about the close blood relationship between Moses' parents and the later biblical prohibitions in Leviticus 18.12 and 20.19. Right. And then it goes on to say that Sada explains that Amram married his aunt before it was biblically forbidden, the other targumists, as well as the Greek Septuagint, are more sensitive to the forbidden relationship. Neophyti and the Septuagint describe Yocheved as Abraham's cousin, and Pseudo-Jonathan, noting that the Hebrew Dod also means beloved, treats it accordingly. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of variations on this whole relationship issue. And I think that the rabbis have a very split and torn relationship in their minds about how to consider the anachronistically halachic lifestyles of the ancestors. On the one hand, we, we imagine Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov davening and creating and founding Shafrit, Mincha, and Mari. On the other hand, Avraham serves treif in his tent to the visitors who are coming. So on the one, it, you know, should we imagine anachronistically that Yaakov observed Shavuos right before the events that created the holiday of Shavuot? That would be strange, even within the myth, that would be strange. And yet the rabbis like to graph onto the ancestors, the notion that they were living from lifestyles, right? Like this is later in the story, but um, later in Tanakh, Tractate Megillah spends a lot of time imagining Esther as one of the firmest women in, 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 uh, in Shushan. And she even built a mikvah in the palace to make sure that she would Never have, in, never have intimate relations without having first immersed, right? So the rabbis want to see in those characters paragons of <clears throat> but they also know that there's no reason to have them be ex, ex post facto obligated to laws that were not given yet. Barry? It's just one other thing that, bl that blurs it um, in uh, large, large families. Um, the, the youngest, uh, a daughter, uh, may be an aunt, but of a similar age. Right. So, Correct. We, um, Javi has an aunt who's three years older than her. Right. So that does ha that does happen. In fact, I know I know of people who are born as aunts. Right. Than their than their niece nephew. Just as an aside, how do the rabbis justify that Esther was married to a non-Jew? Yeah, the the rabbis work very hard to show how she. <coughs> chasteness even in that situation. I think I've shared this with you before that um, maybe we'll end with this. My my cousin uh, Yisrael Eldad, who Shaib, that same family I mentioned before, who's really the Zionist ideologue of our family, he had a really hard time with Purim for that reason, because he thought that Purim was lionizing and celebrating assimilation, uh, celebrating the selling off of our daughters in beauty pageants to marry the non-Jewish king, names of the characters that are clearly connected to Assyrian gods, right? Esther Ashtarti and Mordechai Marduk. Uh, and his biggest problem was, if you do the math, the Jews of Shushan were living after 
Cyrus the Great had allowed the exiles to return to Egypt, to Israel, which means that they were, they were living in a chosen diaspora, which to my cousin was the worst Jewish sin. Right? He did not understand why we live in the States. He's like, you can come back. What are you doing there? Right? You can undo what the Romans did. So he, he, he had a really hard time with Purim as a holiday of frivolity because for him, it represented all that happens when you get lulled into a very comfortable life on La Cienega. You get it, you, you start changing your names and your ways and you forget that the only place that you should be is Israel, according to him. On that note, happy Wednesday. We'll see you next week uh, in, in person and on Zoom if you want, but come, we miss you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.